All right, today's scripture comes from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And we encourage you to uh, find the scripture in your pew Bibles or if you brought your own Bible or a Bible app. It will be also projected behind me. I'm going to be reading it in the ESV. We encourage you to follow along uh, as I read the scripture today. Again, it's Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of God's creation, uh, beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, today's message is called One Flesh. Uh, We are continuing in our sermon series, which is going through the entire uh, gospel according to Mark. And one of the the challenging things about doing that, uh, going through an entire book of the Bible, verse by verse, is we don't get to skip anything. And... Um, I have to be honest, I've heard, uh, you know, I haven't been a part of, you know, uh, all the churches out there, obviously, so I don't know what they do on a week-by-week basis, but I know a lot of churches, the pastor, you know, of of course, inspiration of the Holy Spirit and all that, but would choose the passage on which they will preach, and I actually used to do that, Um, and, you know, it seems to me, and and I've heard this, that oftentimes this passage does not get chosen, (laughs) And, you know, maybe you'll, you'll think to yourself, I wonder why. It's a hard thing to, to preach about divorce in this day and age. And it's something that probably churches and pastors will just be like, hey, you know what? Let's just skip this one. Let's, let's just kind of not deal with this. And I just want to acknowledge that, that it is uh, an uncomfortable subject for a lot of us. Um, and uh, I, I do think, though, that there is a lot to learn. And there's a lot of richness by going into passages that make us uncomfortable. I think there's things for us to learn. And maybe for some of you, you're like, oh, you know, talking about marriage and divorce, that doesn't apply to me. Or, you know, maybe some of you are like in middle school or high school. You're like, oh man, that's so far away. And I think learning about marriage is very important. Um, But I also think that there are principles in this passage that teach us about what it means for us to be human. And what it means for us to be the people of God, whether or not you're married or not. And so um, I, I found actually, you know, by, I, I have to be honest, when I, you know, went over the gospel of Mark uh, before I started preaching on the series, I, I read through Mark many times. And every time I would get to this passage, I would be like, oh man, I can't, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to Mark chapter 10, you know. But the more that I read it, the more I feel like God was teaching me about this this passage and about this principle that I want to teach you today, this principle of what it means to be one flesh. And so this is my little, um, it's not a disclaimer, but the thing that covers us. Maybe for some of us, the the teaching on divorce uh, makes you uncomfortable. 
You know, just statistically, we all probably all know people who've been divorced, you know. Um, but I just want to say the grace of Jesus covers us here. And this is a picture of, of Jesus, uh, you know, writing in, uh, on the grounds, not condemning a woman who was caught in adultery. And there's also a passage about Jesus with the woman at the well who had been married five times, probably had been divorced five times. And none of these things ever disqualified these people from God's love. None of these things ever disqualified them from a relationship with Jesus. None of these things ever disqualified them from even serving, right? The, the woman at the well, she became an evangelist, right? And that her whole town came to Jesus because of her testimony, right? So none of these people were disqualified. So friends, just know that. Um, it, it, it doesn't um, hide the fact that um, there are some things that Jesus calls out and says, this is not ideal. This is not the way that I desire it to be. This is not the way I created it. This is of sin. And so we, we don't want to avoid that. But I do want to be very careful to say, hey, there's therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So we pray against, as we hear this, any spirit of condemnation. Okay, having said all that, let's just dive in because it is a very interesting, um, you know, sometimes I, I tell like some cute story or joke before we go into the passage, but I, I think that uh, this passage is juicy enough on its own. So let's just dive in. So, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And so we get the sense that the Pharisees want to ask Jesus about something controversial because they're, they're like trying to kind of prove that Jesus is not real or, you know, they're trying to find some way of accusing him. So they ask him about this sort of, you know, touchy subject. And Pharisees came up in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of, of divorce and to send her away. I think it's very interesting the way that the Pharisees phrased this. You know, that uh, Moses, according to them, allowed a man to obtain a certificate of the divorce. And notice that, you know, it's a patriarchal society. So the man is the one who gets to do that. And so, you know, there's some people who think the woman at the well probably didn't have the opportunity, you know, to get a proper divorce because she's the woman, right? And so if the man doesn't grant that, maybe she didn't get proper divorces. Uh, but anyways, um, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Again, I think that's interesting that the Pharisees put it this way. You know, maybe for, for them, they're like, hey, you know, this relationship, this person just kind of getting on my nerves. And I don't want to reduce divorce into something simple because I don't think people divorce lightly in most cases. I, I know it's a caricature Sometimes Christians make, they're like, oh, you know, divorce is so easy nowadays. Let me tell you, friends, as everything I've learned about divorce is it is not. Divorce is not easy. It's messy. It's painful. And so I, I just, you know, it, anyways, this is probably a little bit of an aside. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't think we, we, you know, become more compassionate people when we think like, oh, it's just easy. You know, people are just doing this because it's inconvenient. But there is this, this aspect, I think of sending this person away. I don't want to be with you anymore. Send her away from me, right? And so that is involved in divorce. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. So 
Yes, Moses did allow for that. But it is because of your hardness of hearts. He made an allowance, right? And we're going to go more into that issue of the hardness of heart. And so we'll circle back to that, but, but let's move on. So then Jesus outlines what he believes marriage is supposed to be and why he thinks divorce is not supposed to be the standard. And so he says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, so friends, as you can imagine, maybe the disciples, they were like a little disturbed by this. They're like, wait, wait, wait. Jesus, you're saying that you're not supposed to divorce, you know? And they were having a hard time with this. So they, they approached Jesus in private. And they're like, Jesus, clear this up for us. Maybe they wanted Jesus to nuance it. Maybe they wanted Jesus to take it back a little bit. But Jesus doesn't do that. He actually doubles down on what he said, right? He says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And he, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, friends, we, we get really caught up with that, uh, that last part. But why does Jesus say that? Why is divorce something that Jesus says this should not be? And the reason why is because of this biblical principle that what marriage is supposed to be is two flesh becoming one, right? They become fused together. You become one flesh. And if you are one flesh, then how can you be separated, right? So if you fully understand what the marriage union is supposed to be about, then you cannot separate it for any reason. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the argument. And Paul, uh, Paul follows the same logic, and he uses the same passage from Genesis to talk about this. And so this is Ephesians 5, 25 to, through 32. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He uses the same verse, right? And so the principle is, you can't divorce a, a wife if she is part of your body now. You can't harm her, because if you do, that's harming yourself, right? So in the same way that we are taught to love and cherish our bodies, and most of us do, right? We sort of, you know, when it comes to us, <laughs> we're very keenly aware of things that happen to us or don't happen to us. You know, but with another person, it's harder to do that. We don't know exactly what's going on with them, right? It's like, hey, you know what? You do you. You know, you do you. I don't know what's going on with you. But in marriage, what's supposed to be happening is you are being fused together. Again, that principle, you are becoming one flesh. So now, what happens to me happens to you. What happens to you happens to me. And this is the principle. But friends, this is not just supposed to be about marriage. But Paul even says this. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So again, two become one. right? You become joined together. 
Friends, I have to say, this principle gets misunderstood by the world all the time, right? And so uh, there's actually a Greek myth that kind of sounds like this, but it's not quite the same. The, the myth is this, that when uh, the gods, right, because the Greeks, you know, they believed in many gods. When the gods created human beings, they created them with, um, with uh, four arms and four legs and two heads. And they feared these human beings were too powerful, right? That they're just too strong and that they, maybe they could overthrow the gods. So to sort of weaken them, they split them in half, right? And so now instead of four arms, now they only had two arms. Instead of two heads, they only had one head. Instead of four legs, they would only have two legs. And those halves became male and female. And this is where a lot of us get the concept of the soulmate, right? Or the Jerry Maguire thing, right? If you guys ever saw that movie. You complete me, right? This idea, I'm not whole until I find you. I always knew there was a part of me missing. But when I found you, oh, it felt so right. Mm. It's like, you know, you understood me. You finished my sentences before I can even get them out. You just know me inside and out, right? And so we think like, oh, two, one flesh, right? Is that really what Jesus is talking about? Friends, I actually think that this kind of thinking, I know it sounds romantic, but I think it's very dangerous for a lot of reasons. One, I I actually don't think it's biblical. Um, There's a lot of reasons for that. There are many people in the Bible who are saints of God who are not married. As far as we know, Jesus wasn't married. You know, there's some people who argue that, Da Vinci Code stuff, you know. But as far as we know, right, it doesn't seem like Jesus was married, right? Um, It doesn't seem to me that the Bible ever says you have to get married. Because I think for some of us, we think then, oh, there's something in me that's missing unless I find that person. Unless I find my soulmate, I'm only going to be half a person. And nowhere in scripture does it say that. That is a Greek myth, friends. That's pagan. That's not Christian. Okay? So I want to be very clear about that. Right? Yes, there is something missing in your life, but what is missing in your life is a relationship with God. Not a relationship with a woman or a man, right? And so, you know, a lot of times, it's actually idolatry. This idea of like, oh, I need someone else to complete me. And and idolatry, according to Tim Keller, is not saying that these things are necessarily bad, but it's taking a normally good thing, like a relationship, you know, um, that man or woman that you're going to join your life with, and turning that good thing into an ultimate thing. In other words, trying to get something that is not God to take the place of God in your life. You've all been created with a God-shaped tool. You all need God in your life. And so for some of us, we don't know how to reach that, so we reach lower. We reach to the flesh. We reach to another human being. So I, I wanted to be very clear about that. This idea of like, oh, I need this other person to complete me. It sounds good. It sells movie tickets, right? But it's not biblical. I just want to be very clear about that. Okay? And so then, you know, I was, I was thinking like, you know, we so misunderstand what marriage is and maybe that's part of our problem, you know? And so I, I was just kind of looking through stuff and I just started looking up like marriage vows. What do people think marriage is? Or what do people think love is? And so I found, you know, somebody, you know, they, they got some pretty picture and they put text on it as people do. They make these memes and someone wrote this. And friends, I want you to think, I want you to think critically. Is this true? Love is not about sex, going on fancy dates, or showing off. It's about being with a person 
who makes you happy in a way nobody else can. Is it really though? Is it really though? I agree with the first part. Love is definitely not those things, right? It's not sex. It's not going on dates, right? We know that, okay? I I mean, yeah, that's pretty clear. But is it the second part? And by the way, friends, I mean, you know, you can kind of tell this wasn't maybe the best thought out thing. Because if maybe they would have spent more time thinking it through, they would have noticed that they misspelled the word, word else. Right? Do you guys see that? <laughs> Nobody S-L-A can. Right? <laughs> Is love really about being with a person who makes you happy in a way no one else can? Is that what really love is? Because if love is that, then if somebody is not making you happy in a way no one else can, then you probably should divorce them if you think that's what love really is. Right? And that's the way a lot of us treat love. You know what? It's not doing it for me. You're not completing me. I I had this this great desire that this was going to make me feel better. This was going to make me feel whole. And it's not. And friends, that is not love. I want to be very clear about that. Right? Yes, it is emotional. It is romantic. And and, and I'm not saying that that can't be one of the benefits of love. But that is not what we base marriage on. It is not. Um, A lot of times, uh, so, you know, I have the great honor and privilege as a pastor to be able to uh, preside over weddings. It is a great joy. It is a very fun thing, very wonderful thing. And as you may know that, you know, before you actually, you know, go on, at, on the wedding day, I'll sit down with a couple and we'll talk about things. And one of the things we talk about are wedding vows. And people sometimes like to find their own wedding vows. Oh my gosh, there is a cottage industry of like wedding vows. You look up wedding vows online on Google and there's like literally thousands of these, right? Like people write all these things. And, you know, I got to tell you, a lot of them to me are not wedding vows. They're not true wedding vows. Because what they are is usually they'll say things like, oh, I love you so much. You know, you're so great. I've never met anyone like you. I'm like, that's nice. It's not a wedding vow, though. Right? Talking about how strong your love is, not a wedding vow. This is what a wedding vow is. I want to show you a very traditional wedding vow. You probably have heard it. You've probably seen it in movies. And I want to show you, it doesn't seem that romantic, but this is a wedding vow. In the name of God, I so-and-so take you so-and-so to be my husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. And I always tell people, you don't have to use the traditional vows. I think the traditional vows work just fine. If you want to say stuff about how strong your love is or from the day I met you, I just knew. I mean, you know, you can say all those things, but let's be clear. That's not a wedding vow. Okay. A wedding vow is this. It is a promise to love and be married with that person no matter what until one of you dies. That is a wedding vow. It is a promise. Right. You are saying our lives are now joined together. And no matter what, no matter what, we will not separate. Now, I, I do want to say a little disclaimer. There is another passage in Scripture, and I think it's, it's, you know, I, it's, it's the Bible, right? It's what Jesus said, where he actually does make a caveat for divorce. And it is this, marital infidelity, right? When someone breaks the marriage covenant, 
Then Jesus says, in those cases, divorce is permitted. And I actually think it doesn't just apply to, this is just my opinion, but I I think it doesn't just apply to moments where people sexually cheat on the other person, but I think it also applies to abuse. Because I think in abuse, you are breaking that basic covenant that you are one flesh, right? And that is the, the core of what marriage is. Two lives become joined together. And if you are abusing that other person, you are breaking that covenant. Does that make sense? So that's my personal belief. Um, and, and friends, you know, by the way, a lot of these things are complicated. I'm not saying it's simple. But the principle is that in marriage, you are becoming one flesh. Now, for us to greater understand this, I do have some illustrations. This next illustration is kind of weird, okay? And some of you guys like medically squeamish or something, but I thought this was really interesting. I was just uh, flipping through the channels the other day. There's this talk show where they had this woman on. And the caption, I just stopped. You know, I normally don't watch talk shows, but I was like, huh? And the caption was, woman is her own twin. I'm like, what? What does that even mean? I don't even understand that logically as a sentence, right? But this is a picture of her. So this woman is what they call a chimera. It is a very, very rare condition called chimerism. What happens is that she was, uh, so when when she was in, in her mother's womb, that she had a fraternal twin. And so at some point, for whatever reason, maybe that twin couldn't survive. And so the twin got absorbed into the twin, the, the, the twin that didn't survive, got absorbed into the twin that did survive. And so you can see on her abdomen, she has two different pigments of flesh. Is that interesting? And so doctors always thought like, hey, you know, this is some kind of weird birthmark, right? But what it actually is, is that in her one flesh is the flesh of two people. And so she knew that there was something wrong because her whole life, um, she would get sick. And she would have like weird allergies and stuff. And she would have all kinds of digestive issues. And what it was is that because she has two bodies, cells within her, her body was fighting it. It's like, whoa, what the heck is going on here? Right? There's, an, there's another body in here. And it kept fighting it. And that's what would happen. And she would be really, really sick because of that. Right? What happens when two flesh becomes one? It sounds nice. It sounds like a nice concept. But what actually happens when two flesh becomes one, biologically, is one of those bodies will fight it. Be like, hmm, it's not natural. This is hard. I don't like this. Right? Well, this is a weird body coming in. Right? This is what happens in marriage, friends. Some of our married friends here. <laughs> Can attest to this. It's not only, I see some people very vigorously <laughs> nodding. Amen, amen. It's true, right? When two lives get joined together, there is discomfort. There's the one body that got used to doing things the way the one body is used to doing them, right? And when that other body comes in, it's like, mm, you know what? I do it a little different. And that other body's like, oh, what? No, this way is better. Gotta work that out. You got to figure that out, right? And so now the principle is you are one. You are fused together. And if you are fused together, you have to find a way to work it out. You don't get to say, hmm, I, I, just, I just can't stand this other body anymore. 
because now you are one, right? Friends, I want to show you that this principle doesn't just apply to marriage. But I think marriage, as it says in Ephesians 5, is a microcosm of what the church is supposed to be, of what we are supposed to be as the people of God, as the kingdom of God. Right? So this is Mark chapter 12, and so we're actually going to go over this in, a, in a, probably a few weeks or months uh, as we get to it, because it is in Mark, and we're going to go through the entire book of Mark. But uh, So Jesus was answering a, a teacher of the law who's asking, what is the most important commandment? And so he says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's very interesting. Mark is the only version of this, because it's also the, a version of the story, appears in Luke and in Matthew. But Mark is the only one that includes the entire scripture verse that most of us know. It is called the Shema. It comes, uh, it, the, the Hebrew Shema means here. And the part that we all know from the Shema is the second part. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But as you can tell from the word Shema, Shema just means here, right? And so we forget the first part or, or you know, we, we don't know the first part as, as famously, partially because it's left out from two of the Gospels. But everyone who is Jewish would have known the first part of the Shema when Jesus talked about it. And the first part is Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. We're talking about oneness. That's what we're talking about. When we're talking about love, we are talking about oneness. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. What are we talking about? We are talking about being united with God in love. That's what love does. To me, that is the best definition of love. When two become one. That's love to me. When two become one. Their interests, your interests. Their well-being, your well-being. You see them as you see yourself. And if that wasn't clear enough... Jesus goes on to talk about not just how you love God, but how you love people. The second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why is that important? Because the Lord, your God, our God, is one. And we are meant to be one with him, to be united with him. And when we are told to love our neighbor, what does that mean? It means we must be one with them. We must be united with them. Now, some of you may be thinking, but Pastor Steve, we can't marry everyone. True. <laughs> you should not marry everyone. The only way that this can happen in full physical completion is with one person. That's true, right? It only works with one person in that extremely, you know, literal physical way that you can be joined with one person, right? But that principle is meant to apply to other people. So notice, Jesus doesn't say, become one with every single person you meet. Because he knows that's impossible. But what does he say? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The way you love yourself, that's the way you should love other people. And in that is that principle 
of one flesh. Same way you wouldn't hate yourself. You're not supposed to hate other people. We're not supposed to write them off so easily. Ah, that's just them. Oh, they're just evil. They're just crazy. They're just the other. Whatever you want that to be. We don't get to do that anymore. We have to love them the same way we love ourselves. Um, there's this phrase we use sometimes where we say, ah, you know what? I'm done with you, right? Um, I, I found this. I, I don't know what this applied to, but I thought it was funny. Dear humans, I'm done with you. Maybe some people feel like that. You know what? Human beings suck. They stink. I can't stand them. I can't stand you. I'm done with you. You ever feel like that with people? You ever write people off? In the Bible, there's a word for this. The word is curse. You look at somebody and you say, you know what? You're not worthy of blessing. There's something wrong with you. You're evil. You're the enemy. You're the other. I don't like you. I don't want anything to do with you. And this is completely opposed to Jesus' teaching on love. The second greatest commandment. Yes, the first greatest is be united with God. Because that's what you need. You need God in your life. The I'm not completed. I need something to complete me. That's God, right? You need God to complete you. But secondarily, we need to then love people around us as we love ourselves. And so, friends, what is the principle of one flesh then? It's not that you marry everyone, but it is this. We don't get to write off anyone. We don't ever get to say, I'm done with you. We don't ever get to say, you know what? That's just your problem. I don't care about you. Now, again, in marriage, it is a special thing because the other person is consenting to it. I hope they're consenting to it, right? In marriage vows, you do it for both people. It's not just one person like, husband, you're going to be married? Cool. Wife, doesn't matter. I've never seen a marriage like that. That's not a marriage. A marriage is two people must equally enter into that. And when it comes to everyone else in this world, you do not get to decide whether or not they're going to love you back. You just don't, right? But what you can control and what you are in charge of is your reaction to them. If somebody says to you or shows you or denotes to you in some way, I don't want a relationship with you, you cannot force that. You can't, right? But one thing that we should do is to have that heart within us that says, but that other person is like me. I'm going to love them. And I'm going to give them second chances and third chances and fourth chances. I'm not going to think of them as something separate and different than me. So often in this world, I think that this is the problem. We write people off. We look at them as something categorically different than us. Isn't that, you know, one of the biggest sins of America is racism. We're still paying the cost for that, right? It's stinking 2018 and we haven't figured this out, right? We like to think we figured it out, but we haven't. We haven't. And I think we all can see that, you know, in the media today. Just look around you. We haven't figured it out. And friends, part of the reason why we haven't figured it out is because we are not able to fully absorb that truth of what Scripture is trying to teach us, of what Jesus is trying to teach us. Those other people are just like you. And you've got to love them as you love yourself. It doesn't matter if their skin pigment is different. It doesn't matter if they grew up in a different place. 
Yes, culture can uh, uh, definitely explain differences in behavior. And behavior should change sometimes. We shouldn't accept people's behavior. I'm not saying that, friends. But I'm saying that fundamentally, we must think of the other as ourselves. Until we do that, we're going to be stalemated here. And friends, I know this isn't a popular opinion. But I know that a lot of people, we put all the onus on white people. On people in power and say, oh, it's your problem. It's your problem. It's your problem. Friends, I'm telling you, we must learn from other countries. Every other country that has done this sort of thing, that has vilified and demonized those in power, what ends up happening? When the, the minority, when the person not in power becomes in power, they start oppressing them in the same way. Every country does it. Look at Rwanda. Oh my gosh. Their people tore each other apart. Why? Because the people who were oppressed got in power. And they started killing the people who were once in power. And they felt completely justified doing it. Friends, we cannot vilify even people who are at fault. We must figure out a way to see them as ourselves. Or there is no way forward for us. There is no way forward. So friends, in a lot of these things, we look at it and we say, oh my gosh, how do we do that? How do we change? It's very interesting what Jesus said. Jesus said, yeah, Moses allowed for you to get a divorce because of your hardness of heart. There's something within us where we are not able to have or we do not have the kind of heart that God wants us to have. The hardness of heart. This is a very common phrase in, in uh, especially the Old Testament. They talk about this a lot. You know, Pharaoh's heart had hardened and things like that. And there is a very famous scripture that talks about that heart being changed. And I wanted to read that together. So Ezekiel 36, 26. And this is God talking to his people who are hardens of heart. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. Why do we get hearts of stone, friends? We get hearts of stone because we're afraid of getting hurt. A heart of flesh is soft, right? Just like our, our flesh is soft. You know, if I put stone over my body, you know what? I'm not going to get hurt, right? No matter what you do, you're not going to be able to get through. But if I turn my flesh into stone, I'm not going to be able to feel anything. Yeah, I won't be able to feel hurt, but I'm not also going to, I'm also not going to be able to feel love. And for many of us, we've been hurt. You know, and sometimes we just preemptively cut ourselves off. You know what? I'm not going to let you hurt me. Mm -mm. No, no. I'm going to cut you off. I'm done with you. No more. Just get away from me. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we do that in our marriages. We do that in, in our relationships at church, in our friendships, with, with people that we just meet in society. Before you hurt me, I'm just going to shut myself off. Mm. You're not getting through here. And I wonder if we've done that as a society. Mm, I'm done with these people. I'm done with these, these oppressors. I'm done with people that don't think the way that I do. And friends, 
we must have our hearts fundamentally changed into a heart of flesh. And yes, hearts of flesh can get hurt. But hearts of flesh can feel love and know love in ways that hearts of stone can't. We need that from God. We need repentance. We need God's spirit to soften us again. We need that new spirit, that spirit of oneness. And friends, one of the ways that we get that is by understanding the gospel truth of what Jesus has done for us. Remember the way that Ephesians 5 talks about marriage. What is the corollary that they use? What is the, the, the thing that they are comparing? The love between the husband and wife to. The love between Jesus and his church. The, the love between Jesus and his church. And sometimes, friends, we get the order wrong. We, we get really hard on ourselves. We're like, oh, we're not able to love. We're not able to love. You know, we got to change these hearts of stone. Friends, Ezekiel uh, uh, 36 tells us, you cannot change it on your own. You need God to change it. And the way that this is going to be changed is through believing and accepting and allowing the Spirit to bring to us gospel truth. And the gospel truth is this. Before you made a move, before you fixed anything in your life, Jesus loved you first. And Jesus has declared to us for all time, he will never give up on us. Jesus will never look at you and say, I'm done with you. Mm, too many divorces. Too many mistakes. Too many sins. Mm, get away from here. I, 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 just, I just give up. Friends, this is the love that never gives up. It is the love of Christ. And when we receive that love, when we receive that spirit, when we get joined to Jesus in that way, when we start to understand that love and we let that love soften us, then we start to understand that that love is not meant to be kept to ourselves. It is meant to be shared with our brothers and sisters, with our neighbors, with our enemies. This is why Jesus says, you must love your enemies. You must forgive. If you understand this love, it must necessarily flow out to other people. Friends, I just want to take a moment. Maybe we can have the, the priest team come up here. But friends, can we just take a moment to reflect on what we've heard? And maybe for some of you, you are feeling like, you know what? Pastor Steve, I have a little bit of that heart of stone. Man, I, I just, I, I've just gotten numb. You know, I have decided that people will not fool me. They will not trick me. They will not hurt me. And I just shut myself off. I'm done with you. I write people off. I do that. Friends, I think a lot of us do. I think we all do from time to time to protect ourselves. And God understands that. But he wants better for us. He wants us to fully understand his love. And one of the things that I want us to do, instead of saying, God, I want to be able to love in some spectacular way. I want to be able to love people unconditionally. Before we get there, friends, can we just take a moment to receive God's love for you? So friends, wherever you're at, no matter what mistake you've made, 
how hardened or stubborn you've been in your life, can you just receive that truth right now? Not because of anything you have done. Not because you are so good. But because God is love in His very nature. He gave His Son to suffer and die for you on a cross. That love was so strong, not even death could overcome it. He rose in three days, brothers and sisters. But that love is not meant for us to just understand in one moment. Now, maybe you did understand that at one time. But we have misunderstood thinking, I just needed to know that intellectually. But I need that love now. I need to know in every fiber of my being that wonderful truth. And and not just to know it and analyze it and to think about it in this very judgmental, critiquey way, but to just receive that truth of God, of Jesus singing over you. I love you. I love you. I will never give up on you. I will never give up on you. I will never divorce you. I will never abandon you. There's no way that I will ever say to you, I'm done with you. I will love you forever and ever and ever. If you would just let me, if you just let me in. Friends, let's receive that. Let's just take a moment. Receive that truth. Don't overthink it. Just let it seep in. Just rest in that. Friends, maybe you've used your, your mind, that critiquing spirit, as a way of hardening your heart. Our intellect can do that sometimes. You know, we just become these gatekeepers of our emotions and our hearts. We judge things to death, right? So nothing can ever get through. Mm, I can find the logical flaw in this. Friends, aren't you tired of that? If that's you... Just lay that down for a moment. Just let him love you. Let him love you. Let's just rest in that truth. God, give us hearts of flesh. Let us feel your love again. God, we know that we've gotten stubborn. God, we know we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. We know that we are not fully joined to your love. But God, if that's true that your love is a gift, that it is grace. Can we just receive it? I just want to receive it. I just want to let it in. So friends, we'll just give you a few more moments to just rest in that. Before we move on and you know, start eating food and talking to people, and you start thinking about how to spend the rest of your day. Friends, there'll be time for that. There's a time for everything. But can we just not flee from this moment. If it's making you uncomfortable, friends, can I encourage you to say maybe there's something that we're afraid of, that we need to lean into a little bit. To know there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Let's just take a moment to lean into that love. Let God love you. Let Jesus love you. Let it in. Let it in.
pray that you will give us hearts of flesh where we once had hearts of stone. We pray, God, that we can receive that incredible, just completely incomprehensible gift of the love of Christ. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve you forever pursuing us, forever saying that you will never divorce us or abandon us or let us go. God, we pray that we can come to understand and receive that love so we also may love others as we love ourselves. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.